Welcome to the weekly podcast of Bright Star Bible Church. Thank you for joining us. As you listen to the proclamation of God's Word, our prayer for you is the same prayer that Jesus prayed for His church in John 17, 17. Father, sanctify them in truth. Your Word is truth. guys have your Bibles in hand, and if not, your phone with your Bible app open, because we're going to be covering a lot of scriptures today. Uh, I'm excited about this particular message, because uh, I, I really enjoy preaching and teaching on subjects that, that need clarification within the body of Christ, where there's uh, a lot of confusion, and that happens to be one of the topics that we're dealing with today in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 12. So if you would turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, stand with me as we read the Word of God, if you're able. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 11. This is the Word of God. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what is profitable. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to someone else faith by the same Spirit, and to... Another, gifts of healing by one spirit, and to another, the workings of miracles, and to another, prophecy, and to another, the distinguishing of spirits, and to someone else, various kinds of tongues, and to another, the translation of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing each one individually, just as he wills. This is the word of God. Father, we thank you for your word once again. We ask that our eyes be open, our ears be open, that we would have the courage to align our lives with the truth of your holy word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. All right, so this is kind of the the, uh, launching the next several weeks as we cover this section of scripture. We're going to cover each one of these spiritual gifts in detail, and I think they uh, merit probably a week at a time for each one and maybe even two or three weeks for some of them as we clarify for this local body uh, what these gifts mean to the church. The Bible tells us that these gifts were given at the birth of the church and there were permanent gifts given to the body of Christ and there were temporary gifts given. And that begs the question, well, why would God give temporary spiritual gifts to the church? And the first thing that you have to do is you start in the Old Testament, and there we see God's unchanging nature uh, at work, and we see that He's got a pattern. And God's pattern has always been that He would validate His chosen messenger with signs and miracles and wonders in order that His message would be validated. So the messenger is validated because the message itself needs to be validated that it is God's revelation. If God is speaking, He will make certain to put His stamp of approval on it so that we all know, we can all know that it's actually Him speaking. We wrongly assume that there were supernatural miracles taking place every other day in the Bible, that if you lived in the Old Testament period, that you were just doing miracles left and right. Um, And again, that's a wrong assumption. Um, In actuality, in the great span of human history, there were only a couple times of miracles. It was very limited. 
over human history. And they were for a vital, specific purpose, which was what? As we mentioned before, to make it clear that God was actually speaking, that it was His voice speaking. And the first period, if you'll follow me here, the first period was the time of Moses. Moses was the conduit through which God gave the law, the Ten Commandments, a new word of revelation for His people. So Moses and the message he brought from God were validated through supernatural signs, starting with, as you know the story, the plagues in Egypt, and then the following miracles that took place in the wilderness after that. Did we see all of the Israelites performing signs, miracles, and wonders? No, we just saw God's man, Moses, doing so. The second period was the time of the prophets, when Elijah and Elisha proclaimed the word of the Lord on his behalf, So again, the message that they brought from God was validated through their supernatural signs. Did we see all of the general Israelite population performing miracles at that time? No, we did not. Only Elijah and Elisha and as God willed uh, following that. We later saw this exact same thing with Jesus. He didn't start performing miracles until he began to proclaim his message, okay? Jesus did not perform miracles until he was baptized and began his earthly ministry and he was preaching his gospel, okay? In Matthew 17, you can turn there. Uh, I'm going to bullet point it, but uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration, While Christ was shining in His glory, and I've spoken about this several times because it was such a monumental moment in that New Testament when Jesus just gave us a glimpse of His eternal glory on that mountain. And while He was shining, there were two people standing there speaking with Him that the disciples saw. Who were they? They were Moses, God's representative of the revelation of the law, And they were Elijah, God's representative of the revelation of the prophets. And those two are referenced in Scripture as encompassing what we know to be the Old Testament. Uh, we, We say the law and the prophets, and Jesus even said that. Remember in that moment what Peter said Uh, He wanted to build an altar, three altars actually, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Jesus. And in no uncertain terms, God shut him down immediately. As a matter of fact, in the reading, it seems like God uh, shut him down before he even finished his sentence. And God said this to Peter. He says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to him. So now that Jesus was there in the flesh proclaiming the Word, His new revelation, His New Testament, took priority over the Old Testament. It fulfilled it. It didn't make the Old Testament obsolete, but rather the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets, testified about Jesus, that He would one day come and Christ would fulfill all of those things that the Old Testament spoke of. The issue for some today is that they set their eyes on the miracles themselves. They make following Christ about the signs and the wonders instead of placing the importance on the revealed Word of God. And they miss the whole point of God's eternal purpose in giving His Word. 
One thing we have to understand, and I'm going to prove this to you in Scripture, is that it is not the miracle that causes someone to have faith in Jesus Christ. It's not the miracle. Remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16. The rich man in his torment begged Abraham to raise the beggar Lazarus from the dead so that he could go back and warn his five brothers of that place of torment. And here's what it says in uh, Luke 16. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham. If someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But Abraham said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. You see, if they will not listen to God's revealed word, they will not believe. The miracle is not the point. The message of God's word is the point. So in that same line of thought, before Jesus ascended to the Father, He gave His authority of His chosen messengers that followed Him, and we know them as the apostles. If you'll turn to John 14, 26, John chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus tells His disciples, here's what He says, John 14, 26, The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Now switch over to chapter 15, there in the book of John, and we're going to look at verses 12 through 15. Chapter 15 of John, 12 through 15. He says, I still have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak from Himself, but whatever He hears, He will speak and He will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take of Mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are, has are Mine, and therefore I said that He takes of Mine and He will disclose it to you. Let me break down what that means. Here Jesus is telling His disciples the process by which the Spirit of God will inspire Scripture to be written by their own hand. In verse 12, Jesus says, I want to give you the whole thing right now, but you simply cannot bear the truth right now at this time. And so you're going to have to wait a little while longer. So when the time comes, the Spirit of God will teach you everything that you need to know. First, how Christ was revealed in the Old Testament, because we know, remember the road to Emmaus? Jesus told them of all the ways that He was revealed in the Scriptures of the Old Testament. So first, how He's revealed in the Old Testament. In addition, He will cause you to remember all I, Jesus, have taught you, which we know as the Gospels. He's going to reveal that to them, that everything that Jesus taught them, the Holy Spirit would bring it to remembrance so that they could write it down. And we know that as the Epistles, right? The go- I'm sorry, the Gospels. And then... Uh, it says he revealed to them, he would reveal to them instruction for the conduct of the church, which we know as the epistles. And then at the very end, in verse 13, he says, He will disclose to you what is to come. And he's talking about his revealed word, a new revelation. We, we, we call it the last revelation of Jesus Christ. It's 
the final book that we have in our canon written by uh, John on the Isle of Patmos. So naturally, these men, the apostles and their message would be validated in the same way that God validated Moses, the lawgiver, Elijah and the prophets, and Jesus, who was God in the flesh. As Ephesians 2.20 says, you can turn there if you'd like, Ephesians 2.20 says, I'll paraphrase, Christ is the cornerstone and His chosen men, and it mentions the apostles and the prophets, uh, they are the foundation of the church. They make up the foundation of the church. And the miracles that accompanied them and those they chose, the men that they chose to help them in that early church age, uh, was to lead in that foundational stage of the building of the church or the birth of the church. They were validated by signs and miracles and wonders. And they operated in these temporary foundational spiritual gifts until the Scripture had been given fully, delivered to the saints of God in its entirety. So you should look at these temporary gifts as you do the forms that are used when you're pouring the foundation for a new building. These forms only stay in place until the concrete has been poured and is solidified. And in the same way, these temporary gifts of the Spirit served as forms that would not stay, but they were vital in those early stages and the formation of the church of of Jesus Christ. Their function was to validate that it was indeed God speaking before they had the complete, concrete, written revelation of God's Word. So once the Word of God was complete and followers of Christ could hold on to it with their hands the way many of you guys are doing this morning, they could study it, they could memorize it, they could hide it in their hearts, there was no more need any longer for the temporary gifts, and those forms could be removed. Now, God's revealed Word was complete later on, and the record of every supernatural act of God is right there in the pages of Scripture. And all we have to do is believe God's Word. We do not need God to prove Himself over and over again with signs and wonders. I want you to understand something. I'm not saying that God does not do uh, what God wants to do. So if He wants to do something, transcend the natural, and do something supernatural, God is able and He will do so as He will. So I'm not saying God doesn't do anything like that. What I'm saying is that the purpose of those things during this time and the gifts that were given to the church had a specific purpose for the body of Christ. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 4, Matthew 16, 4, when the Pharisees came to Jesus and they asked Him to perform a sign in order to prove Himself to them, Jesus actually rebuked them as He often did, and here's what He told them. An evil and adulterous generation eagerly seeks for a sign, and a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and he went away. Now, the sign of Jonah, what in the world is Jesus talking about? It's very simple. How many days was Jonah in the belly of the great fish? Three days. Well, how many days was Jesus in the tomb? Three days. So the defeat of sin and death by his own death and his resurrection 
was His greatest miracle, the greatest sign of all, Christ's resurrection. And yet those men in that time still rejected the resurrected Christ. If that miracle recorded in Scripture was all you ever had, not one sign, not one miracle, not one wonder more in your lifetime, would God's Word still be enough for you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Would it be enough? Our nature is to want more. And yes, the desire to actually uh, see God prove Himself in some supernatural way can be a fleshly desire. The feeding of the 5,000, y'all all know that story, right? It drove those people to the other side of the sea. And when they found Jesus, did they clamor toward Him and ask Him to teach more truth? No. They asked to be given His ability to work miracles because on the other side of the sea, His miracles filled their bellies. Jesus rebuked them because He knew that they wanted to work miracles for temporary fleshly reasons in order to feed themselves. And so, again, in that situation, they, they missed the whole point. And that's when Jesus said to them uh, in a way that we would consider harsh, if you want to be my disciple, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And, of course, we see what happened that day. Many, most of His disciples, not, not His chosen ones, but most of those who were following Him that day left Him and did not return. So, as we look at our passage in 1 Corinthians, we see the fleshly desires of the believers in that church at Corinth, and uh, it's on full display. We're not, they weren't loving and serving one another. They certainly weren't unified with one another or unified in the work of Christ. And as per usual, the Corinthian believers began to abuse the gifts, and they actually began to fabricate these gifts well-meaning or not. Because if it were, in fact, the Holy Spirit doing these things, then why would Paul need to correct them? If it was the Spirit doing it, then what purpose would there be in the Apostle Paul correcting that church? We read that the Apostle Paul spends a large portion of the letter of 1 Corinthians sternly correcting them for the way they were abusing the gifts in that Corinthian church and doing so in the name of the Holy Spirit. He warned them not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, in addition to the temporary spiritual gifts given, there were permanent gifts given to the body of Christ for the purpose of building up the body. And those are still active in the body of Christ today. And when dealing with this topic, I believe that we have the tendency to uh, misunderstand what the gifts actually are we operate under certain assumptions and many speculations, and too often we mystify the gifts. We make them lucky charms or act as if they are magical powers for Christians. Um, if we say the right thing and we say it in the right way, God is then obligated to give us what we want, and that's uh, a story that we see too often in the body of Christ today. But here's the problem for the church. If we are ignorant about what the Word of God actually teaches about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, then the church will buy into whatever the church culture around us is selling. 
okay? We are swimming in the water of church culture and the church culture that we grew up in. And as the church has slowly changed culturally, we've kind of gone along with the flow and, you know, with the church world around us. And it's all we know. And we become desensitized to the little nuances and just little tweaks here and there that are leading us off course. And it takes real courage to wake up and challenge that church culture and simply ask the question, a real simple question that you've heard me ask time and time again, what does the Bible actually say? What does the Bible actually say? And I believe that without a doubt, with serious study and by harmonizing Scripture, we can come to a proper big biblical understanding of what the spiritual gifts are and how they operate in the context of our local church. In 1 Corinthians, Paul describes the church as a body, okay? And a body needs to be built up. It needs to be fortified with the right kinds of food, nutrients and vitamins and minerals. And unfortunately for myself, with exercise, right? Some form of exercise and so forth. And these gifts are absolutely vital in the same way to the health of the body of Christ. They are indispensable as we seek to be a Christ-like witness to the world around us. When the body of Christ functions as it should in these spiritual gifts, there are four basic things that occur as a result, and these things are so very important for the body of Christ. First, as each member operates in their spiritual gifts, the entire body will be blessed by the accumulative work of each and everyone's sacrificial labor. Okay, As we serve one another, placing your neighbor's needs above your own, it's reciprocal, it's circular. And um, you're being blessed, of course, by everyone else serving you and, and, and loving on you sacrificially. And everyone else is, is uh, the benefactors of you loving and serving them sacrificially. And I've seen over the years a lot of dysfunctional churches, but my heart, my goal has always been to see a church actually walking in the true spiritual gifts uh, and, and actually loving and serving one another and holding firmly to the Word of God. I wonder what that would actually look like, though, to see a church do it all, like get it all right. Second, when everyone functions in their gifts... That local church is a powerful witness to the community, and it offers a contrast of the lost who are in the darkness and those who are redeemed and walk in the light. There's a contrast there. It's a discernible difference. And third, in a healthy, full-functioning body of believers, genuine leaders will step up to the plate and start serving in their gifting. And, and oftentimes we look at, you know, we as the church think that it's absolutely necessary for a college or seminary degree, but that is not always required. Um, nothing can be an adequate substitute for a genuine spiritual gifting. Now, education clearly can focus our giftings and um, sharpen and enhance the giftedness of a leader. And so... Um, we, we're certainly not looking down on any of that. We support that, but it's not absolutely necessary all the time. You cannot re replace the spiritual gift that comes in the form of 
equipping a man for leadership. Fourth, when the body functions as it should, there is unity. A genuine love for one another develops, true fellowship, and this, of course, fulfills a need that each of us have. And when this sort of unity is witnessed by those out there who, have, who are lonely, who have none of that, and they see the local body of Christ actually walking in true unity, they're desperate for the same, well, they'll come and they'll have an opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. The best thing about a functional church is that the end result for the body uh, is transformed lives. There are, there are actual transformed lives. It's not a show. It's not for pretend. But people's lives change in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the ultimate end is, as we learned last week, that Jesus Christ gets the glory for it all. He gets the glory. Now, on the opposite end of the spectrum, there are counterfeit gifts and cheap emotional imitations that are offered up as substitutes for the genuine gifts of the Holy Spirit. And counterfeits compromise the immune system of the body. They act like a virus, if you will, spreading and breaking down the connective tissue of the body and destroying it. And the spiritual reality is that they fling the doors of a local church wide open, inviting demonic oppression and intrusion, cultivating deception, and they attract wolves that we know Paul warned of and Peter warned of frequently, and Jesus warned of. The, uh, the embrace of counterfeit gifts and cheap emotional uh, imitation is responsible for the current state of the biblically and spiritually compromised immune system of the visible American church. So because of that deceptive threat, it is imperative that we understand them in light of careful examination of God's Word. And uh, so for that dual purpose of understanding both the benefits of a functional church operating in the genuine gifts of the Holy Spirit and to expose the dangers of a dysfunctional church operating in the counterfeit spiritual gifts, we will take our time over the next several weeks covering each in detail. I'm certain by the end of this study that those of you guys who can be around, you'll grow in your knowledge and understanding concerning the purpose and the, and the vital role of these gifts in the body of Christ. I will, I'm now going to use my remaining hour uh, to talk about um, the <laughs> categories of the spiritual gifts. All right, there are two categories of spiritual gifts. All right, There are the speaking gifts which are specifically given by the power of the Holy Spirit to use the mind and the mouth as instruments of service. The other category employs active serving gifts, so the church doing stuff in the power of the Holy Spirit. And both are gifts of the Spirit which serve and edify or build up the body of Christ. In 1 Peter 4, verse 10, 1 Peter 4, verse 10, Peter lays out this pattern. He says, as each one has received a gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Listen how he breaks it down. Whoever speaks as one speaking the oracles of God, so it needs to be from God, and then whoever serves as one serving by the strength which God supplies. Now in 1 Corinthians, the gifts that Paul mentioned in that passage 
was for the purpose of dealing with the problems that arose in that very young first century church soon after the birth of the church. And the year was around 52 or 53, okay? Not long after Christ's death and resurrection and His ascension. And they were still held at that time within the forms of those temporary spiritual gifts. When someone said, thus saith the Lord, their message had to be validated in some way to prove that it was in fact God speaking. But they were still waiting for the completion of God's final revealed word. And this is why Paul mentions all of these gifts here in 1 Corinthians. And when you turn to Romans 12, if you'll turn there, Romans 12, 4 through 8, Romans 12, 4 through 8, that was written just a few years later, probably around the year 58. And we see a, a list of spiritual gifts here, but it's different than the one we saw in the early church there at Corinth. For, and here's what it says, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. But having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, whether prophecy, in agreement with the faith, do you see what he says there, what he follows that up by? Or service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with generosity, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So here's what I want you to see, and I pray that the Lord will give me the ability to, to communicate this to you uh, in a proper way. This was a transitional period of time in the early church where we saw it, things switching from the revelation of God's message to the repetition of God's message. They had temporary gifts affirming or validating God's message for God's people early in those first stages of the foundations of the church in the 50s. However, during that period of time, the epistles were also being written, okay? So as Peter states in 2 Peter 1, the Spirit of God was breathing divine inspiration through the apostles, and of course, they would write it down. Turn to 1 Corinthians 14, 1 Corinthians 14, and we're going to look at verses 37 and 38. 1 Corinthians 14, 37 through 38. Paul is clarifying in no uncertain terms that the letter he is writing is new revelation from God and it should be treated as such. Here's what he says. If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. But if anyone remains ignorant about this, he is ignored by God. I don't know how much more clear Paul could get. The things that I'm writing in these letters, these are the Lord's commandments. And if you remain ignorant, willfully ignorant about this, then God is going to ignore you. Okay? So that transition is taking place. And these chosen men, the early church prophets and apostles, are writing God's revelation. And as these letters are written and circulated among the church, among the body of Christ, 
They are what now constitutes the faith, okay? The form of the faith. The temporary gifts for validation would soon no longer be necessary. And if someone came along proclaiming to be a prophet or saying, Thus saith the Lord, preaching God's word, it had better align with and not contradict all previous revelation from God. Ultimately, when the epistles were complete in the early to mid-60s, the scattered church knew that those letters being circulated from the hands of the apostles, they contained the actual revelation of God. They knew that the standard of truth for the church was transitioning from what God is saying during that time to what God has said. From the proclamation of new revelation, God is telling me, to the proclamation of established faith that we describe as the Bible tells me so. Do you understand? Just nod your head if you're getting any of this. Okay. And this is why we see at some point between the years 65 and 80, Jude confidently writes this. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation... I felt the necessity to write to you exhorting that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. He was clearly talking about the epistles given to instruct the body of Christ in the proper conduct and the purpose of the church. You see, the temptation is to add to Scripture and create our own version or to ignore Scripture because there are things in God's Word that we don't like. And there is a timeless truth to consider. Remember, God always sets a pattern. And once again, in Deuteronomy 4.2, Deuteronomy 4.2, Moses declares this, You shall not add to the Word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. The only way that you can keep commandments is if you actually know the commandments. You have a set of concrete standards, and we have that today, folks, in God's Word. We don't need anything else. We don't add to or subtract from God's Word. And when that final revelation was given to the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos in Revelation 22, 18 and 19, you can turn there if you want to. I'll read it here. Revelation 22, 18 and 19. The Spirit of God, by John's own hand, warns this. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty serious to me. So to bring all of this back to spiritual gifts... The Word of God dictates what is acceptable and what is not in the context of the church and in the operation of the spiritual gifts. All right? His Word dictates how the church is to conduct itself in the world. So while the temporary gifts served their purpose, they passed away when God's Word was concretely delivered to the people. So now all of the spiritual serving gifts, 
the way we act toward one another, those things are founded upon the spiritual speaking gifts, God's Word being proclaimed and studied. And, and uh, that's important to understand. All of the serving gifts flow out of or come as a result of the Word of God being proclaimed and people hiding the Word of God, the truth of the Word of God in their hearts. And from that flow, then all the spiritual gifts and the service to one another. The proper Spirit-filled proclamation of Scripture equips the believer with true spiritual knowledge from which all of the sacrificial serving gifts of the Spirit flow. Now, one more passage we're going to talk about. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4. Paul says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the Word. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires." and will turn away their ears from the truth, and they will turn aside to myths. And that is what we see in that passage. We're warned that the visible church is going to head, that the people who claim to be the people of God are going to accumulate teachers to tell them what they want to hear, to entertain them. And so, within that visible church, though, is God's true church. His faithful church. And this church here, we will, we will do everything that we possibly can to continue to preach the Word of God. And as a result, I believe that as we grow together, we will see the true, genuine works of the Spirit being manifest in this local body of Christ. I believe that you will see the fruits of the Spirit manifest in each and every one of your lives and I believe that the Spirit of God is going to use this local body in a powerful way. As far as the speaking gifts are concerned, this is really cool. I want you to see there's a progression of truth that trickles down through all of these spiritual gifts that are given. And uh, it trickles down, as I said, even to those who have those serving spiritual gifts. Here's, here's the way it works. The gift of prophecy, and that word prophecy doesn't mean to foretell the future. That's a part of it. There are times in which prophecy told the future or told that Christ was coming that actually one-third of the Bible is prophetic in nature. But that's not what prophecy means. Prophecy is exactly what I'm doing right now. It means to speak before the congregation, to proclaim God's Word, His revelation, before the congregation, before the multitudes of the people. That's what it means to prophesy. So the gift of prophecy proclaims God's written Word. The gift of knowledge clarifies God's written Word. The Word of wisdom knows how to apply God's written Word. The gift of teaching shares the truth of God's Word in order to equip someone else. And the gift of exhortation holds all of us accountable to obey God's Word. There are the spiritual gifts. No shooting lightning out of our fingertips. It's very tangible. It's very genuine. We can walk in the power of the Spirit, serve one another, 
every single day of our lives, and that is the genuine work in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we see that progression in that. And it is my prayer that this local body of Christ would understand what the true spiritual gifts are and that we would be active in those things and that we truly would be a witness for the gospel of Jesus Christ and we would serve one another the way God designed the local church to serve in one another. Amen? Amen. Would you bow with me as we pray?